Thanks for checking out the New Life Christian Center podcast. We post audio and video of our messages at newlifeeckley.com, and we encourage you to share our messages with others. Enjoy. Open in your Bibles, please, to the book of Proverbs, chapter 11. I will get there eventually. But we've been talking over the last, this is the third week, a series of messages called The Money Talk. And uh, I hope, first of all, that you've been pleasantly surprised at how little we've actually talked about money as such, but rather the, the, the guiding principles that are around it. And uh, we used uh, third, or I mean, Second Timothy uh, chapter 3, and it says that in perilous times, in perilous times, I think we live consistently as we approach the end when Jesus returns. We're certainly closer today than we were yesterday. And I've been a Christian for a great number of years, and I will tell you, I'm positive we're closer today than we were uh, when I got started worshiping God. In fact, when I got started, that was a big part. We were sure that, that, that God was going to return, Jesus was going to return just any time. And that was before the advent of satellite TV. And, and uh, we kind of needed satellite TV so that we can see what happens live, or those of you who want to hang around, um, can see live uh, what happens in the temple and in uh, Revelation and some of those kinds of things. Also for the gospel to be spread all over the earth, we kind of needed that to happen. And so there are several things um, that are hidden in God's word, um, in, including in, in James, the, the implied uh, war or difficulty between um, wealth and poverty. Um, that's in there. Most people don't even realize that that's a part of it. The, you know, the book of Matthew, when Jesus talks about it, when we hear rumors of war and pestilence and all those kinds of things. We live in a time that is so much more difficult by biblical standards than it ever has been before. It's all because Jesus is returning. And by the way, that's a good thing. So quit freaking out over what you hear from news media and things like that, and and how it's possible that they believe that God is not winning this battle. I've never trusted those people because many times they speak in opposition to what God's Word says. So I don't trust them with that part of it. I don't trust them with an understanding about money. So when it says men will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money in that passageway, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, that they'll be lovers of self and lovers of money. That's the first two things that are there. There's a whole bunch of other things, but, but look what was put first. Lovers of self and lovers of money. And so that's what we've been talking about. The first message that we did was entitled Everyday Realities. And what we tried to show you in that is that money is ultimately about stewardship. That it's really learning how to handle something that does not belong to you. Now, we will eventually get to the biblical boundaries of finances and so forth from a biblical standpoint. But let me just emphasize to you that I'm not talking about the parts that you've seen in, in legalism that God says are devoted to him. The tithe is devoted to him, but that's not the only thing that God asks you to consider to do with his money. And so we'll, we'll touch all those things because I don't want you to be legalistic and say, well, pastor, you know, we're not governed by that law thing. Jesus came and fulfilled it. Well, I'll just tell you that, that uh, giving as a principle is before the law, during the law, during the time of Jesus, and during the time of the church. 
And uh, so we're going to, I'll show you all that. So that was the first week. The second week, last week, we talked uh, a little bit about living in relationship. And we found that money is ultimately a tool. So if you would, Jeremy, put up that first quote here, and then I'll add the third part to it. It says, how we live in relationship. Nope, the first one, brother. Was there another one before that? There we go. Money is amoral. Please understand that it can neither be good nor bad. It cannot act on its own. Money needs something to precipitate its movement. Now, before you think what you think, let me just tell you that money is moved by belief system. You actually potentially put your money in the bank that you use based on a belief system. This one's better than that one. This one's doing this. This one's doing that. Money is motivated by a belief system. It's only a tool in the hand of a steward's relationship with God. That's where we were last week. So you'll see the first message in that quote, the second message, and now the third message, person's relationship or steward's relationship with God activating biblical economic principles. So today's message is about biblical economic principles. I'm going to show you two of them today. And what I hope is they will both be somewhat of a, oh, I knew that. And oh man, that's a surprise. And I'll show you how God from heaven sees how money is functioning on the earth. And so that's what we're talking about. And so we, we talked about all those things and, and, and we gave you some quotes. The second quote, how we live in relationship with money is governed by an account. We looked at Philippians chapter four, an account and that account Word is the word logos. It literally means God's word that has been spoken over you. All of you function in life based on what you believe in what God has spoken over you. The whole of God's word has been spoken over you, but you don't believe all of it. We are pickers and choosers. We believe parts of it. In fact, I used to encourage people to always carry a Sharpie so that when you find a part in the Bible that you don't like, just cross it out. Now, how many of you know that doesn't change the truth, right? So the fact that we don't believe it doesn't change God's truth. What God is doing is trying to get us to embrace the truths that are in his word that are not yet living inside of us. See, it's not just their existence that we're after here. Right? It's not the fact that God exists. It's a living, active relationship that we're talking about with God's word. And that part that he speaks over us is living inside of us. Not everything that you've heard from God is actually living inside of you. Some of it is, is literally caught in the pathway between your brain and your heart. It's trying to make it there. But you can't get out of the intellectual capacity that you have. You think you're not smart enough to do these things where God never depends on your intellect. I mean, we ought to be able to chuckle at this when we look at everybody else. If we think God has to wait for some of us to get smart enough for God's word to work. Look at the people in your row. Are you kidding me? I mean, occasionally... Don't, don't you, I mean, when you do this in the world, are, are you occasionally amazed that some people get up in the morning? I mean, what are they doing? And they breathe all by themselves. You're thinking, dear God, 
The point is, it's not about what you get intellectually. It's about what lives in your heart. You say, people say, well, but I believe that. Well, I don't care. The Bible says the devils believe. What do you suppose the difference between you and the devil is? If both of you believe. Have you ever pondered that? The devil believes. But it's not living in him. It's not living in him. Truth is living in you. Come on. When you recognize the truth is living in you, then all you want to do, all you should want to do is cooperate with the living stuff. That's Christ-likeness. Cooperating with the living stuff is Christ-likeness. You live it out because it's alive. People are changed by the living Word of God. The Word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to discern or separate between the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We need that. Not just an intellectual capacity to say, yep, I knew that was in the Bible. Well, congratulations, but again, do you breathe all by yourself? I mean, come on. We have to have a recognition that there is some living stuff that God wants us to operate through. Literally, the personification of Jesus himself, the word becoming flesh, living out through you. That happens in biblical economic principles. Let me show some of them to you. Are you ready? Will you put up, please, Jeremy, the first quote, generosity. Begins with the word generosity. Generosity, based on righteousness, provides continual enhancement of spiritual living. This is one of the biblical principles that I want to show you today. This is the first one. We're going to put up the quote first. So this passage I'm going to teach you is going to show you how how generosity enhances spiritual life. See, most people think generosity builds buildings. Generosity enhances spiritual life. Proverbs chapter 11, I told you I'd get there. Here we are. Look, if you would, please, at the 24th verse. If you're taking notes, just keep some space in here because I'm not sure exactly what you got in the digital notes but I'm going to give you some, some really pertinent definitions coming up, things you ought to write down and chew on. So give yourself some space here. If you're at the bottom of a page, just, just do what I tell you and turn the page and start with a fresh page and put at the top of that generosity just as a title. Proverbs chapter 11. There is one, verse 24, there is one who scatters yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. Skip down to verse 28. He who trusts in riches will fall, and the righteous will flourish like foliage. Okay, so the first biblical principle governing money is generosity. Stinginess is not a spiritual gift. Generosity is the governing force behind God's picture of money. Now, let me, tell, let me show you how I know this. Start with anything and everything that God did. For six days or for five days or how many ever days it took before he put man together and put him on the, on the earth. God prepared for the eventual arrival of Adam. 
He made a perfect environment. And even after making Adam, he generously provided Eve so man wouldn't be alone. When Jesus was born, the astrologers, who I'm going to, the wise men, the astrologers, I'm going to say they didn't have the, they studied stars, man. These are the people who read the horoscope in in the paper. Okay? These are not necessarily the height of spirituality, but these people saw his star. They saw his star. How'd they know that? Because somebody told them that God said in his book that the star would appear and, and it shone down on Bethlehem. Well, just, just ask yourself this question. How did Jesus, Mary carrying Jesus and Joseph, get to Bethlehem? Somebody had to make an edict. Caesar Augustus said, we're going to count everybody, so go back to your hometown. Go back to your home area, you know. And so he had to go to Bethlehem of Judah so he could be counted. Why did God use an ungodly ruler to get Jesus back there? Because he had to fulfill prophecy. He had to fulfill the very nature and character of who he was. And when they found him, what did they give him? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I've had four children. Well, I haven't had any of them. My wife's had four children. I never once thought to bring her a sack of gold in response to the birth of one of our children. Can I point out to you that God motivating ungodly people, potentially ungodly people, The first thing he did was provide everything they need and then they gave it back in response to what he did. That's who God is. That's why generosity. See, you can say, well, if you give, you get. You know, just forget that for just a second. God uses his character as a principle of handling financial things on the earth. Generosity. God is, I mean, Come on, can you with me say that some of the people that you know who are saved don't deserve it? I mean, when you kind of look at them and go, yeah, what was God thinking there? Are you one of them? Because I am. I look at my life regularly and wonder, what was God thinking when he pulled me out of his hat? I had no use for God. In 1979... 1977 through 79, I had no use for God somewhere in there until I had a use for him. And at that point, he changed me because he is really a generous God. He didn't look and say, I don't know what I'm going to do with that guy, but let's throw some spaghetti at him and see what sticks. He was generous. That's the principle. Now let me take this apart for you. Look at verse number 24. It says, there is one who scatters, yet increases more. It literally means, this this more, it means to continue to exceed or repeatedly enhance. Repeatedly enhance. When he said there is one who scatters and increases more, he says by scattering, it will continually enhance who God is in your life. See, when you operate from his principles, it produces who he is. That makes sense to everybody. See, a lot of times we think that we can just give money to get money. But what God's 
governing principles are is the generosity that gives us when we scatter. One who scatters, he increases even more. It li- literally, it continually enhances the spiritual life. Generosity enhances spiritual living. It'll cause you to scratch your head going, how does God keep doing this? By the way, if you haven't scratched your head in response to what God does, it's highly likely that you haven't scattered enough. Don't you love that? Let me say it to you again. If you haven't scratched your head about what God is doing, it's likely because you haven't scattered enough. There's he who scatters, yet increases all the more. It literally enhances spiritual living. Many of us approach financial operation as a purely world thing. So we put rules around it that aren't biblical. You understand that, yes, the tithe does exist in the law. But the tithe is not governed by the law. Abraham gave a tithe to the king of Salem. Melchizedek. In Hebrews... Jesus is the priesthood according to Melchizedek. Interesting parallels here. He's operating from a position of generosity. And he's showing how to enhance spiritual life. How many of you think Abraham's life was enhanced by operating in those principles of generosity? Because Abraham is the father of our faith. Right? Go read it. Romans chapter 4. He's the father of our faith. He set the ground rules for enhanced living. I don't have time to explain that to you, but it'll soak in after a little while. Notice in the next part of verse number 24, it says, And there is one who withholds more than is right. Now underline in your Bible, if you're a Bible underliner, more than is right. Can I point out to you that there are some parts of withholding that are correct? Some parts of withholding. Unless God tells you to give everything you have. See, willingness suggests some of you need to come to adult Sunday school. It'll, it'll warp your mind in a real healthy way. See, there are appropriate withholdings from that. If you're not willing to give everything you have away, then anything outside of your function of willingness is not a seed. Anything outside of your willingness is not a seed. God isn't making up the rules so that you can be happy. Well, I'm going to give everything. Why are you giving everything? I really want to receive. You cannot give a seed that produces the greed that you're living in. It won't work that way. Amen. So notice what he says here. He says withhold. Now listen to this. It means to withhold or to spare from what is treasured to withhold or spare from what is treasured. So here's the thing. You've got to figure out what your treasure is and whether or not you're willing to give some of it, if God asks, away. We withhold from what we treasure. If you give your junk away, it does not move the heavenly needle. If somebody comes and picks up your junk... Because you think it's worth something to someone. They're just going to take it and throw. You, you should see the dumpsters, dumpsters behind the Goodwill stores. People bring their garbage 
holy clothes, shoes that don't work, you know. Here, surely some poor person wants this. Well, first of all, no, they don't. And second of all, you're willing to give your junk away? If you plant a junk seed, it'll reproduce after its own kind. And you'll get junk truth. Yep, Pastor, that was a good point, man. I just can't believe that's very good. <laughs> Hallelujah. More than is right. I wish they would just translate it this way. It says, when somebody withholds, literally despair based on what is treasure, more than is right, it literally means away from righteousness. Treasures more away from righteousness. What's he saying? He says your gift isn't righteous. More than is right. Your gift didn't come from a righteous relationship with Jesus Christ. All generosity that moves the needle biblically is generous because of righteousness. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is that it's generous because we recognize that it came from God first. It's what he gave us in the image of Jesus Christ. What he did for us in the work of Jesus Christ is where we get everything from. So when we give away from righteousness, we're giving something that we could have maybe produced on our own. But when we give from righteousness, we are giving what God has given us and we know it. See, if God doesn't own all your stuff, then giving it away doesn't fit this verse. But if God owns your stuff, then you'll give it what he asks you to. You'll give it in response to the righteousness that lives within you. Or you'll withhold it. More than is right, you withhold it away from righteousness because you have yet to make the transition into the righteous understanding of a generous God. Okie dokie. I knew you'd love it. Verse 25. More than is right, it leads to poverty. Let me, let me give, I want to give all the words to you. It, it literally means it will lead you to a constant state of want. How many of you know that there are moderately wealthy people who live in want? The issue is not what you have, but your perception of what you don't have. Come on, track with me. You can have a lot of resources and possessions but not have the thing that you want and you can be in poverty. It is, a, it is a mental perception that says I don't have what I want. When you base your spirituality on what you want, you will be basing it away from righteousness because it's based on your desires. Some of you prosperity types, of which, by the way, I am one, but you need to get away from the want that you have, the want that you have for money, and get into the wants you have for righteousness reproducing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, it says, and, and when you do these giving, it says it will multiply the seeds sown and multiply the righteousness sown. I don't have time to explain it, but we're going to get to it uh, uh, in, the, in the weeks to come. But it multiplies a generous gift, generous according to God, based on righteousness, knowing that it came from God, 
means that that seed of righteousness planted will multiply righteousness. Churches all over this planet are gyrating to get people saved and they don't understand money's attachment to righteousness. Righteousness is the person of the gift, the gift of the person of Jesus Christ. If you give that seed of generosity in the character of God, it will reproduce the righteousness that you gave it in. And you'll walk out of here, meet somebody in the restaurant, and they'll say, can you tell me what's different about you? And you'll lead them to Jesus in the restaurant on Monday. Because righteousness is reproducing. But what we do is we give money and we plant it in greed, asking God to meet our needs. Some of you are so selfish that you will not ask God for abundance because all you really want is to get out of the pain that you're in. Ask God for a pile of money. Raise your hand and say, I'm a candidate, God. And he will work on your righteousness understanding that everything you have belongs to him. And you'll go, okay, wait. I've been working really hard to put my savings account together. And that's yours, God. Please, God, please, God, please, God, don't ask me to give it away. Look at the 28th verse. He who trusts in now, underline this in your Bible or you'll miss it. He who trusts his riches. Who owns those riches in this verse? The guy does. If you trust your riches, uh-oh. It literally says, he who trusts riches will fall. The word fall is causative. It means this is what produces falling. Look at it. Verse number 24. Uh, uh, 28. He who trusts has confidence with feelings of security. I know I left 25 out because I I don't want to teach it for, I'm I'm doing it. So 24, 28, 25, just stay with me. I don't know how it is in your notes. But we're teaching 28 first. Why? Because what happens is as God begins to bless you in, in natural resources and possessions, you take possession of the possessions. It's your stuff. Amen? When it's your stuff, you have trouble giving away your stuff. See, that's why people come to the church. When the church has resources, people come to church and they'll tell the church how they should give the money away. Because it's not your money. So if it's not your money, once, he, once, once it releases from you, if it was God's, it's because God called you to. Once you gave it away, it's no longer under your control. And you come to the church and say, well, you know, pastor, you know, the church should do this. I don't want to exaggerate, but I will say 100% of the time, I've never, I've never had it not happen this way. The idea that the person has who wants to tell the church how to give their money away didn't come from God. I've never had anybody come to me and say, now, pastor, I don't know anything about this, but I had a dream about this town in India. And it's named something like. You know, and, and they'll tell you this, this name. L- let me just tell you something. What they say is, I'm involved in this thing and I know this. They're just going to spit out what they know. And because it's not any skin off of their nose, they want the church to come in and rescue this thing they know about. I'm not saying that can't be God. I'm just saying it isn't God the first time around. Because, see, you have a natural knowledge of those things. 
When you gave money to, to, to Samaritan's Purse to go to Israel, we didn't tell them, make sure and build water. Purifiers, we did that once with them. Make sure and build water. I just said, hey, wherever it's needed in Israel, praise the Lord. You know, and so he, many of you maybe get some of their newsletters and that kind of stuff, but I think they've committed to 19, 21, 21 ambulances in Israel and seven of them are armor plated. Now, if you'd have said to Samaritan's purse, I want to give you some money and you need to go make some armor plated ambulances. First of all, man, you're thinking outside the box. Congratulations. But that may not have been God. But if you give it to them and entrust what God says in them because of their righteousness, they'll do something that only God can think of. See, some of our finances are hindered because we think up all the plans. That's when the Bible says in Psalms, it says the children of Israel limited the Holy One of Israel. Man, the whole time the children of Israel were wandering around in the desert, they had a better plan than God. Send us back where they have turnips and garlic. I'm always amazed by that. God walks them out of this nation of captivity. The nation of captivity gives them multiplied millions of dollars in gold and precious stones and stuff like that. They're walking around with their seed money for the ground that God has given them in the promised land. It's awesome. And what we, what we do is we think, well, God's got to give me something before I can give. No, he already gave you something. You just neglected to learn how to use it right. Because your, your heart isn't generous. So you trust in riches, you'll fall. It literally means to, to be causative of the fall or of division or of, of failing or of overthrowing. See, when you possess your own possessions, it will cause you to fall. But the righteous will flourish. The righteous, someone conformed to a standard of another. Someone conformed to a standard of another. Righteousness, biblically, is defined very clearly as the person of Jesus Christ. Conformed, a righteous person, someone conformed for our purposes, conformed to the picture of Jesus Christ, they will flourish. Let me just tell you the most obscure definition that I found for this. They will fly or soar. I love that. See, generosity always enhances your spiritual life. It gives you the ability to soar above life's problems by that word flourish. It also means to bloom and to blossom the things you think. But, but down, in the, down in the weeds of this, it says to fly or to soar. Generous righteousness produces an ability for you to soar above life's problems. Okay, now let's do the middle part. Verse 25, where it says the generous soul. Again, underline in your Bible because it says soul. Up to this point, we've done things that come from a righteous relationship of Jesus in our spirit man. That's how we've understood it. But what he said is the generous soul will be made rich. Now, again, old language, it, nobody wants this one, but it literally means fat. So no generous soul wants to be fat, right? 
Only the connotation with this fatness because of, of the culture of the time was that people who were, were heavy had enough food to eat and had all the stuff they needed, right? It, it, to be made fat, it literally means to be made prosperous. So it said the generous soul. Notice he said soul. So here's the problem is that oftentimes our will, intellect, and emotion is not nearly geared up to be, to be generous as much as our spirit who always agrees with God. Our soul has to be negotiated with. How do we do that? How do we get to a generous soul? We have to take those principles that the Bible tells us that, are, that exist in our head and they've got to make the trail of life into our hearts. We actually live by them. We live by the living revelation of what those scriptures says. Okay? So, so when you do that, when you make that trip, it actually moves from your soulish mind, will, and intellect down into your heart, the literal living space of God. So that you can live through those principles. So the generous soul needs to be educated and accepted. And notice what it says. It says it'll be, it'll be uh, 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 the water. It says, and he who waters. It says you'll give water. But notice what it produces. It says, and he who waters. So this is where the living part comes in. He who waters. So you see somebody that's thirsty. You give them a drink of water to satisfy them. That's the context of this. But then it says, he who waters will also be watered himself. Only in the Hebrew, it's a different word. It means to flow like water. All right. So the generous soul being made rich will water and out of him will flow water. John chapter 7, and out of your innermost being shall flow waters, shall flow streams of living water. Handling it with biblical principles allows you to function within these principles, biblical financial principles of generosity and righteousness. See, maybe you would have thought, okay, here comes the tithe message. Pastor's going to tell us if we tithe, he'll, he'll open the windows of heaven and pour out. I am going to teach you that, but I'm going to teach you a little different understanding of the pouring out part. Because he, he, what he pours out is, is a word. He uses the word for pouring out. He says, I'll, I'll pour out a, a, an amount, right? And he a blessing. And he uses the word for benediction, which means to speak a word over. So I'm going to show you that, but not this week. Coming. It's coming. But notice what it says. as a generous soul. So one of good favor bestowed by another. Right? The only way you get generosity is by understanding God. The generous soul, he made rich, which literally means to anoint or to satisfy or to have good news or good health. So he'll be made that way. It means to give a drink safe to, to somebody to satisfy. But then it says out of you, the watered part, which literally means to flow as water. When you understand generosity and righteousness together, it'll cause living water to flow out of you. We can prove that in other areas of the Bible. Amen? Amen. So here's your quote. Righteous generosity requires stretched spiritual or exercised spiritual senses. No one would have dreamed that this was a part of biblical financial principles. But in Hebrews chapter 5, Hebrews chapter 5, is that, the, is that the reference I gave, Jeremy? Okay, good, you have those in your notes. In Hebrews chapter 5, as we move along here, 
I am going to get you out of here today. Are you learning? Is it different than what you thought? (laughs) Do you understand that if I teach you what everybody else has already taught, but you didn't get the message from what everybody else taught, you might not get the message. And so I'm trying to take the time to lay a biblical foundation for you so that we can change how you see these things, right? So that you can then operate in what is generosity. Generosity is not measured by an amount, but rather measured by heart connection. By heart connection. What the hand gives is not nearly as important as what the heart releases. Right? Some people have the ability to fill their hand with stuff but they don't have the ability to release it from their heart. Hebrews chapter 5. Here's the second part of this. So we got generosity and righteous generosity. Here's your picture of righteousness. Notice it says in the fifth verse, So also Christ did not glorify himself to become a high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. He also says in another place, You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Occasionally the Bible just has stuff that seems right. But Melchizedek, the the, the king of Salem, Melchizedek represented as the king of peace, received Abraham's tithe. Why is this about money? Because he references the priesthood of Melchizedek. That's when it starts, people of God. If you go back in, in the book of Genesis and you see this, Abraham is the first guy that gives this a whirl. Who in the days of his flesh, verse 7, when he had offered up prayers. It's talking about Jesus being the priest of Melchizedek. Okay, so are you ready? Who receives your giving in this passage if Jesus is the priest according to Melchizedek? Can you see that Jesus receives your tithe without, or your money without respect to where you give it? That, that's, that's the correlation here. But then he's going to show us some stuff about how to understand that. He says, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, speaking of Jesus, with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. That's the, that's the Gethsemane you know, prayers and, and John chapter 17. Um, could save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. See, sometimes what happens in all of this is we don't recognize what God has called us to do in the area of the suffering in relationship to who Jesus is in our life. Occasionally what God wants us to do is to understand what that does in us. Not what I'm teaching about today, but there you go. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called a high priest, called by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Again, don't have time to... Just really flesh that out for you. It's just interesting. Of whom we have much to say. Here's your, here's your thing. Much to say and hard to explain. Notice the writer of Hebrews says, listen, Jesus is the priest after the order of Melchizedek. And this is a hard thing to understand. Because if you go back and look at Melchizedek, you don't really have a lot of things to understand. The only thing you really have, as, as he's understanding, is where he's the king of, king of peace, and who he receives from. Abraham is the father of our faith. It's the only thing you can really draw from that. So it's hard to explain, he says. Then he says, it's hard to explain since you become dull of hearing. Now you become dull of hearing when you accept your ways of doing things over biblical revelation. 
You become hard of hearing when you accept your way of doing things over biblical revelation. It happens all the time in relationship to money because we want to manipulate through our giving. We say, God, I'm given this and I expect a hundredfold return. Whenever you pray for a hundredfold return, you should remember biblically that the hundredfold return includes persecution, which you aren't going to sign up for. Thank you, Lord. I mean, I don't want to sign up for it. Amen. All right, here comes the, 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 the meat of the message here. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the first principles of the oracles. Everybody say oracles. Oracles are literally the words spoken over you by God. Okay, so the first principles of the oracles of God, the first things that God spoke over to over you. And so we can go through these things and we can go back and look and say, how did God reveal himself to the children of Israel? How did God reveal himself to the people? And we can see those things. But notice what he said. He says, you need the first principles of the oracles of God and you've come to need milk and not solid food. You've come to need things that you don't have to chew on. Now, I'm bringing you some stuff today that you might have to chew on. Because many of us have had a misunderstanding in the relationship with money, God, and the world. And so we've believed things that have just been sloppy in our background. And, and we've, we've, we've believed those things so that we can get what we want. Notice it says in the, in the uh, 13th verse, So everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of what? Righteousness. Remember how generosity and righteousness went together in our first passage we studied. When you're unskilled in righteousness, you have yet to understand the fullness of your right standing with God and that He owns everything that you have. So you're unskilled in righteousness. It takes a lot of chewing to realize that God so loves you that he gave you an abundance of his stuff and trusts you with it. God trusts us with his stuff. When we handle it correctly, he gives us more of his stuff. See, most of us want to focus on what's the stuff, Pastor? What's, what's his stuff? What is that? Well, you know, I want... Just leave that alone for just a second. It's not what you want. It's what you have. I have God's possessions. Remember in Acts chapter 4, 3 or 4, wherever that is, where the lame man's laying at the gate, beautiful? And John and... Peter, or whoever it was, two, two of the disciples walk by and he's, he's waiting to receive. And they say, look at us. Look on us, it says. And he looked at them expecting to receive something. But they said, silver and gold have I not. But what I do have, what I do have, what I do have. He recognized his possessions belonged to God. What I do have. He said, I don't have any silver and gold right now. But what I do have, now notice, I give unto you. In what he had, he had it under his control to give it away. You have the ability to give God's stuff away. Generous righteousness gives away God's stuff. 
And by the way, God isn't running out of stuff. <laughs> but some of us think, well, now, Pastor, that can't possibly be true. And the reason we don't think it's true is because we've never operated in it. I've never driven a car that'll go 150 miles an hour. But I believe they exist. I still want to drive one. In fact, when we were on a little bit of vacation, we drove through Indianapolis. You can go to the Indianapolis Speedway and for $600. Yeah, oh dear. I had to ask God if he wanted me to spend his money on this. But... but uh, um, and so since I didn't get to get in the car, they, they, they give you lessons and then they strap you in an Indy car and say, get after it. I'm going, praise God, would that be great? Room of zoom, zoom, right? And, and anyway, I didn't do it. I wanted to. And if God would have given me permission to spend his money that way, God and I would have done it. That'd been Awesome. That would have been awesome. But you see, if you're unskilled in the words of righteousness, you'll do what you want and ask God to pay for it. You'll never ask God what He wants you to do with His stuff. I mean, I had vacation money in my pocket. Could have done that and we could have eaten a little bit less. Tracy and I could have went on a fast. Come on, how many of you ever rationalized your ownership of the stuff and did something with the stuff that God didn't approve of, but you tried to make it up by self-sacrifice? It's really hard to self-sacrifice for six or seven years when your car payment is outside of God's will for you. <laughs> I knew no one would amen that. Oh, no man, anything, nothing but to love him. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word, and he's a babe. These are 40-year-old babies, immature in their understanding of the word of righteousness. This is a, listen, I'm just reporting the news. I'm not calling you a 40-year-old baby. But if the shoe wear, fits, wear it. Wander around and fix that. Because maturity is optional. Notice what else it says. It says, but, verse 14, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age. Complete or mature in purpose. Complete or mature in purpose. If you'll see this right, you will be without want because everything you do and everything you have will be having a purpose given to it by God. Mature people understand the purposes of God. Literally, the impartation of the person of Jesus Christ in righteousness in us. Understanding the purposes. He said in Deuteronomy chapter 8, I give you the power to make wealth to further my kingdom. That's his purpose. I'm telling you, you can never outrun God if your purpose is his purpose. Amen. Notice it says then, of of full age, and then underline in your Bible the word that is. He's going to explain to you what it means to be mature. Look what he said. He says, that is, those who by reason of use. <laughs> the word reason is in there. Use is actually the word that we get gymnasium from. 
Use and exercise go together. It says, by reason of use, have their senses exercised, gymnasiumed. I know, some of you are going, what? If you're going to exercise, you need to go to the gymnasium of God. Where your ideas are proven through use. You and him having the conversation, right? Because right now, what's proven is just what we've gone through as an experience. But he's asking us who are mature, who can chew up the meat, that by reason of use, literally on account of our willingness to use these things this way, have their senses exercised. The word there used for senses also implies the spiritual senses that are at question here. He's not talking about literal eating and drinking of milk and solid food, but rather spiritual things. So then the same spiritual connotation is in spiritual senses. You have to have your spiritual senses exercised. Can I tell you that when your spiritual senses are exercised, you likely will not give to everything that comes down the pike. Because you will have exercised by reason of use, and you'll listen to God, and only give, only do what He asks you to do. Those people who are trying to do everything have missed the spiritual exercise. You understand that if you exercise without eating, it's not going to go well. If you over-exercise, it's not going to go well. If you under-exercise, it's not going to go well. Does it make sense? See, there's some, there's some things we've got to process here so that we chew the meat that God is offering through His Word. If you want to have good biblical boundaries on your understanding of money, you have to use generosity and righteousness. Righteousness is individual. It's the Jesus in you that works through your wiring and through what he said to you up to this point. It's not, well, Jesus is here. He's just generous to everybody. I would challenge you to prove that in the Bible because there are times where Jesus handles things differently. Handles things differently. He says, is he generous? Yes, of course, he healed all who were oppressed, and that can be generosity. But, but notice there are other aspects, and again, don't have time to really explain it, other aspects of how he dealt with things that are just interesting because I believe Jesus exercised his senses as well. Why didn't Jesus fix the religious people? I mean, of all the people who could have understood this, instead of going with people who are dumb as a fence post, why, why didn't he fix the religious people? I mean, it's just a question. He exercised his senses. The exercising of his senses gave, gave him the ability to discern, and the, the ability to discern shows him the future results that God had intended. None of the religious people would have accepted the saving of the Gentiles. None of them. You all, unless you have a Jewish heritage, would have been outside the commonwealth of God. But now you've been brought in. Because somebody exercised their senses, discerned, and said, this is God's intent. In the weeks to come, I'm going to show you the difference between God's ways and God's intent. God's ways says don't sin. God's intent says something different. When you find His intent, you can use the ways to give you boundaries and His intents to expand your path. And I know it doesn't make sense. You go, wait a minute. Boundaries narrow our path. This expands our, our path. Yeah, it'll make sense. I promise. We'll get to it. Is it making sense? 
Are you glad that I'm not just talking about money, money, right? But rather giving you an understanding, hopefully giving you an understanding to process what's happening in your life through biblical boundaries. Because God thinks different. See, Isaiah chapter 55 says that, that, you know, his ways are higher than ours. His thinking's higher than ours. It doesn't mean it's unattainable. It means it's different. It's not unattainable. It's different. His ways aren't our ways. Wouldn't you like to have his ways? I would love to have his ways. You know what else I want? I want his intent. I want to understand his intent. Here's, what it, here's his intent. God desires that everyone gets saved. Experience tells me that not everybody has. And yet God's intent was still there. See, when you can find his intent, you can depend on who he is because he really did desire for this to happen. So when Jesus became poor, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, so we could become rich, that was his intent. Not his ways. His ways are set, man. You don't believe in Jesus, you fry. There's no, there's no wiggle room in that. You fry. But oh, his intent is so beautiful. Do you know that God designed everything to be beautiful? Just ask yourself this. When was the last time you looked out at what God's world looked like and said, man, is this ever beautiful? His intent is for you to see it as beautiful. Isn't that interesting? How do you see it again? It's ugly, isn't it? So we don't understand his intent. because His intent is purely spiritual. I'll give it to you later. Here's your last quote as... as the music team moves. God offers the understanding and wisdom in financial matters through generously exercised biblical principles. It's a principle of righteousness that God is using to show us his generosity, which is literally the giving of the person of Jesus Christ. God was so generous that we brought nothing to the party. While you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. We brought nothing to the party. See, that's the picture of God's generosity, it shows up in the picture of the person of Jesus Christ who is righteousness. Those are the two biblical principles that all heaven operates on financially. Generosity and righteousness. Amen? Stand with me, would you please? Father, thank you today for helping us to process what is likely a, a, a difficult scenario. Because Father, we've been taught for years differently and oftentimes we made it about the money rather than about the principles of life rather than the reflection of the righteousness of Jesus Christ rather than the reflection of the generosity of, of you father who gave Jesus father we just ask you today would you help us to see inside of this not only your ways but also your intent for father we bless you because we are discovering not only the narrow path, but the intention for along the path. You never designed us for wrath. You didn't design us for judgment. You didn't design us for a harbor of sin. You didn't design us to live in poverty. You did not design us in anything but the direct image of who you are as a father. So Lord, we thank you today that we can learn those principles we can operate from those boundaries in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.
Thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Center podcast. We post audio and video of our messages at newlifeeckley.com, and we encourage you to share our messages with others. Our main service begins at 10 a.m. Mountain Time, and if you can't be here in person, watch live at newlifeeckley.com slash live.